what does the vision board look like for the Jazz in the final 28 games of the regular season? We'll discuss that with Thurl Bailey. Preview the weekend here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. Today's podcast is brought to you by Fanatics. For authentic Utah Jazz player gear, including jerseys, shorts, warm-ups, and more, visit fanaticsauthentic.com slash utahjazzgu. That's fanaticsauthentic.com slash utahjazzgu. Let's start here with the nerds over at 538. And shout-out to nerds. Chris Herring over there does a phenomenal job, and to local nerd Andy Larson, he does a great job as well. We love the nerds. If you're looking at the vision board at the beginning of the year, it might look similar to where 538 has the projections for the end of the year. At this moment, they project the Jazz to finish fifth in the Western Conference with a 53-29 record. That's where I think things are corroborating on the vision board. Maybe not the seeding, but the record looks similar. It's behind the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Currently, Utah's sitting in fourth. If all goes well on the vision board, that if you readjust to what it is right now, teams pushing to go higher and higher above that. Seeding is going to matter so much when it comes to if you advance. And matchups are going to be huge between these teams. For Utah to get where they want to go, this is probably also on that board. Gotta unlock Mike Conley. Playing well heading into the break. Last four games that he played, 24-4. and four. Starting to turn around. Starting to figure things out. And down the last 28, they've got to figure out where he is in the lineup, how he's going to feature. He's out for tonight's game against the Spurs, but he will be available against the Rockets on Saturday. Not going to play back-to-backs. Completely what you need to do in preserving him for when the games really matter and the management should pay off come the postseason in April. Unlocking Mike Conley is going to be the top priority of Quinn Snyder and this coaching staff down the stretch. More on the vision board concerns one of the games that we'll see at Vivint Smart Home Arena this weekend. It's Houston. Before that, San Antonio tonight. One that I compare to the rock in the shoe. This could be very annoying if it's dropped. San Antonio, prideful bunch, 22 consecutive playoff appearances. They're in 10th place right now, five games out of eighth. They need to ramp things up because the five games that they play out of the All-Star break, they're against top eight teams. When the Jazz lost to the Spurs, it was due to a crazy mid-range game from DeJounte Murray and DeMar DeRozan. Can't imagine that happens twice. This vision board game on Saturday, tiebreaker one. Head-to-head is the first thing that you look at when it comes to the standings if teams have the same record. Utah took one with Boyan Bogdanovich. Houston took one with seven players, no James Harden, no Russell Westbrook. Houston is all in with their chips at the middle of the table. Small ball it is. He signed Jeff Green and Damari Carroll over the All-Star break. Jeff Green inserted himself into the lineup on Thursday, scores 17 points in 24 minutes. Carroll goes 13 minutes, just two points. They hit 25 threes against Golden State. This is a team brimming with confidence after a GQ photo shoot with the Brodies, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And Russ is playing his most efficient ball, that's for sure. By having all those lanes to drive to the hole, you saw in the last time that they met how Russ can get to the rim. He was guarded by Rudy to start out the game. See how Utah 
chooses to employ their defensive scheme on Saturday. Since Capella was being phased out, Houston's gone 7-3 and with an offensive rating of 115. Russ has benefited 32 points, 7-6 rebounds, shooting 52%. If he can play this way, that's a problem in the postseason. That's going to be a fun one. That's the playoff matchup that you'll get if the first round started tomorrow. Maybe it does start tomorrow. We'll have you covered on utahjazz.com. Let's get to Thurl Bailey. He is a jazz TV analyst. He's also a talented musician. He sang the national anthem at a Marquette men's basketball game. He joined the Jazz out of NC State in 1983 as the seventh overall pick. He played in the 1988 Game 7 series against the Lakers. This guy knows pressure. So that's where we started with Thurl. I asked him, what's more nerve-wracking? A do-or-die game or a live audience hearing you sing? Thurl Bailey. <laughs> Request to JP. Uh, definitely the anthem. Definitely the anthem. I think of any song, any, ask probably almost any musician, any vocalist. Uh, the song may seem simple, but of any song to have to go out, especially a cappella, and sing it in front of thousands of people knowing that you cannot screw up at all. I mean, you cannot overdo it, you can't underdo it. You just got to do it right. Uh, And so I think singing the national anthem is probably one of the more nerve-wracking things that I've ever done in my life, and it never eases up. I've, I've sung it at different venues, but it's never easy. You never get comfortable until... You know, you get into it, and you know you, you're into it now. So, don't screw up. Well, and then I can't even imagine watching my son play a basketball game after that type of thing. What's going through your mind with the national anthem? Your son's there watching, and then you have a, a game to occur after that. Well, first of all, I didn't sign up for it directly or personally myself. My wife signed me up. <laughs> okay. And and so. Uh, she got a call from someone in their athletic department, and they've just been, Marquette's just been really good to and for my son, and so she's like, oh, yeah, he'll do it. <laughs> and she comes to me maybe a few days later and says, you know you're singing the national anthem on this day. What? <laughs> and so, you know, it ends up, we end up talking about it, and then the last words for me are, yes, dear. So... You know, I got kind of roped into it, but I didn't mind. Uh, but it's even more nerve-wracking. You talk about the crowd. It's not something you want to mess up on when your son is involved with his team. Because, one, he'll never hear the end of it. I'll never hear the end of it from him. So I wanted to make sure that I did it the right way with emotion and and just uh, representing a great country that we live in and so I, I tried to do that and I hope it came came across that way as well well and everybody can see the clip online it's tweeted out by the Marquette men's basketball team if you want to check out that national anthem rendition by Thurl but quite the week not only being able to do that you were at all-star weekend one of the more exciting ones that we've seen over the last couple of years how was it for you in being able to be out there in Chicago 
It was great. I had the opportunity to go because I'm I'm on the board of the NBA Retired Players Association, and and we choose that event to have our meetings and to kind of take inventory of uh, the retired players from the NBA, the WNBA, and the Harlem Globetrotters, and the and the ABA. And so it affords me the opportunity to go there and and take uh, someone. I took my, my daughter, oldest daughter, went this time. And as far as the, the weekend events as they go, one of the best NBA weekends, I think, in years. I mean, I'm, I can't even remember the last one that even came close to uh, what I thought uh, this one, this latest one brought. Just the, you know, the different aspects of what happened with the slam dunk contest and and the uh, the actual game on Sunday, uh, the different format that they implemented. The guys weren't necessarily playing for themselves and just entertainment. You know, if there was a service part connected to it, they knew they were raising money for charities. So they were more apt to go out there and, and work hard. And I don't know last time I saw a guy take a charge in an all-star game. Two. He or, had two charges. Yeah. Or block a shot. Uh, you know, it's just it was just good to see them playing for something other than just a check or just uh, letting letting guys just score and do what they want. But I like it. They need to, they need to probably implement that same format to the uh, the rising star U.S. versus uh, foreign players game because uh, I thought that was a little more, you know, freelance entertainment, and I think that they need to carry that over as well. But overall, just a fantastic, well-produced weekend. I had a chance to go to the um, NBA and uh, NBA retired players luncheon that Sunday with all the the tributes to Kobe and and his family and those that were lost on that tragic uh, accident and also uh, Commissioner Stern. A lot of great tributes. Fantastic weekend. You know how much all-star appearances mean to the state, to this franchise. What did you make of Rudy and Donovan and their inclusion in that Sunday game? Well, it made it special for me because I see those guys all the time, mm-hmm. right? Travel with them, get to talk to them, have seen their progress over the years as players, know that they're great guys. Uh, I love the fact that they were playing together. Uh, but it's just great to see them there enjoying the moment, enjoying all the festivities, even when they weren't playing, uh, and representing you know, the state of Utah and the city of Salt Lake, just representing them like we expected them to. And uh, it's just it's just, it's just just fantastic for us to have a couple of guys who are all-stars and a part of that whole weekend. Well, you've seen them since the beginning of their years. Did you expect this out of a guy like Rudy who comes in as a very wide and rangy type of player, huge wingspan, but doesn't have the body type, to where he is now, where he looks like a Greek god and he's playing at the level of those all-stars? Well, when, when Rudy first came here, uh, David Locke and I had a conversation. Of course, he's the radio voice of the Jazz. We had a conversation because he's all in analytics stuff, and I try to disprove him when I can. <laughs> but 
uh, I told him that Rudy was going to be special. And he just couldn't understand it. He didn't know what I saw and could I explain it in the numbers. And I'm like, dude, it's not all about the numbers. There's certain things you have to have a lens for that, you, that you, you've seen. And, and I, I could see that Rudy, one, was working hard and wanted to be great. And two, that um, there, was some, there were some things that I noticed that if he continued to work on, he was going to be at that place uh, defensively and offensively. The only thing I was worried about was that the game would get so far ahead of him that his position would be like a dinosaur, extinct, you know, by the time he got really good, especially offensively because, you know, the way this game is going, you've got to be able to stretch the floor out and shoot jumpers and that kind of thing. And it really wasn't designed for Rudy to be that kind of player. So um, now that he has arrived, in a sense, and the game has changed. He's still a major factor on both ends, and he's really improved on the offensive end. We talk so much about defense and what he's been able to do, but I think what really solidified his all-star status was what he's accomplishing now on the offensive end uh, as a threat in the middle. And Donovan comes in on a supernova, leads this team to the second round in his first year. What did you notice over his progression to where he got this first-time All-Star appearance? Well, he came in with such a dynamic first year as a rookie. Uh, I think he exceeded all of our expectations, but you know, once you hit that level every year, the expectations go up. And there were some things he was lacking, like the ability to finish games and be a clutch player uh, to get to the free-throw line. Uh, but into his second year, he really started to develop those things, and he he continues to be a sponge, learning from veterans who are already there, and and understanding what he needs to do to to stay at that that all star status, but trying to reach the superstar status. And superstar status means consistent. You're consistent every single night. Cream rises to the top, and you're one of those guys who, for the most part, will will have an explosive night every single night in some way, shape, or form in the game. So it's been really fun to watch him do that. And it's been really fun to watch him come out of when he's not doing it, when he's struggling, how he responds to it. That's really the sign for me of, of, of headed to greatness is how you handle the difficult times, right? How long you stay down there. Um, and sometimes it's good for players to get down there to understand how hard they have to work and and what kind of leaders they have to be. And that's what Donovan's really turning into now. I think after, you know, the overseas uh, basketball that he played this summer, he really put him in, in uh, Greg Popovich, Coach Popovich really put him in a position that he had to lead. And he's bringing that back with the Jazz now and starting to to really show, but he's doing it the right way. He's learning and leading at the same time. 54 games in, what are you seeing in first two-thirds of the NBA season for them? Well, I'm seeing that the Jazz have, have really taken care of business when they needed to. I mean, they went to that, like, five-game slump right before they went back on that winning streak before All-Star break that they were getting beat by teams who, who had their best players uh, on load management. So, you know, you have to figure out those things and get back to 
what your philosophy is and what, what your strengths are. And Jazz's first priority is always defense. Um, that's what Coach Quinn Snyder preaches because you don't know how you're going to shoot on a given night, but if your defense is strong, then, you know, it's kind of the great equalizer. It keeps you in games. And so uh, the Jazz have done well in a tough Western Conference where you know that these last 28 games or so are going to be battles. Everybody's going to be really standing, watching the standings to see, you know, who leapfrogs over another team, how many games you behind first place. Can you really, can you get home court advantage? What games can we not drop, right? And, you know, you don't want to be looking back and saying, man, we, we should have won this game. And so I think I think the Jazz have been, done really, really well to be consistent in the fact that they know who they are. And even though they haven't won every game, they haven't been a, there haven't been a lot of blowouts for them because they're they're they have opportunities to win and they've really really become a clutch team, a, a good clutch team in a close game with all the characters that they have on this team that are able to to uh, contribute. Jordan Clarkson's scoring off the bench has clearly changed this team since he was added number one offensive rating. How has he transformed and, frankly, fit in so well with a team that was searching for themselves a little bit earlier this year? Well, that's probably one of my favorite topics because that's how I made my living. (laughs) I accepted the role and embraced the role as a sixth man, and I think that's what it takes, first of all. Because there's always there was always this uh, stigma associated with coming off the bench as if you weren't a major part of the scheme, you weren't one of the best players, and that's far from being true. Because um, I, I I really learned that the philosophy my philosophy was is really not who started, it was who finished. And as long as you're getting minutes and you're in crunch time of games, as you see Jordan Clarkson is. Um, then it's 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 really a an important role for the team, especially if you want to make that run to the playoffs. Every team has to have a strong bench defensively and and offensively, so you're not relying on you know your starters to do everything. And so Jordan Clarkson has, and when the Jazz made those moves with Exum out and Jeff Green, um, and bringing him in was just instant success. You don't find a lot in this league, especially in, in what some would consider a, com, a complex offense like when Snyder runs. To have a guy come in and the coach says, listen, this is what we need from you. We need you to play D, but we need points. We need you to score. Don't worry about the plays right now. Just go in there and play basketball, and then you'll, the, the plays will come. You'll know, you know what to do and and it happens instantly with Jordan Clarkson. And it gets better as he plays because he's understanding more of the concept of the team. And it's not done in a selfish way as much as it is in the context of what the Jazz are trying to do. And he's so successful at it. And now the bench scoring has just gone up and we're, we're winning that particular stat a lot more than we, we were when he wasn't with us. So just a great find and just great minds when I say great minds, I mean, you talk about Justin Zanuck and, and Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder saying, hey, this, I think we can use this guy in what we do. We don't think he's going to be an issue, a problem. Let's get him and let's see what happens. And it works. 
Mike Conley averaging 24 and 4 in the four games he played in before the break. He's trying to turn the corner and starting to get there. How do things change for the team when he's playing that way or even better? Well, for Mike, you know, when you when you have had some of the uh, injuries he's had that's kept him out, when you've struggled in a different philosophy than you've been in, in, a, in a lot of years, um, it's, the learning curve is different for everybody. And I think the one thing I know and a lot of people know about Mike is he knows how to play, right? Playing the game is not new to him. It's just fitting in and finding his place on a team where he can thrive. And what makes that easier for him are the people around him, right? His teammates, even if he's sitting on the sideline and, and, and they're winning, his teammates know they're a better team with Mike Conley in the game and healthy. Um, and so I think it's been great to see the other guys around Mike that are rallying for him and pulling for him to, you know, to find Mike Conley. And I believe he's done that. And sometimes expectations of players are, you know, way above what they need to be. And, and, you know, people on the outside want it to happen now, now, now. But there's a timing for everything. And I think it's the right time for Mike as you get into this latter part of the season and you need all hands on deck. Uh, And there's nothing, I think, more potent than a totally healthy jazz team you look at what we were looking at a couple of years ago with injuries and how it really hurt the Jazz, especially early on. But, um, you know, I think that Mike has really been able to, to start to find his place. And uh, the real, the true Mike Connolly's coming out. And, and it's just great to see. It's great to see. And you root for a guy like that who loves to be where he is and, and is, you know, is, is patient enough to be able to to do what he's doing. What's been the biggest surprise for the Jazz this year? The biggest surprise? Yeah. Um, I think it's really been Rudy Gobert's emergence on the offensive end. You know, again, we talk about what he does on, on the defensive end and how he's the best at what he does there. But in this day and age, in this game, to see a guy like him who doesn't have any plays really in the post called for him, right? He affects the game offensively in different ways. Uh, you know, the, the how he assists the pick and roll. He's one of the best in the league at it. How he's now developed, you know, you can, he's developing a left-handed hook shot. It's starting to fall for him now and, and, and how to come off screens and put the ball on the floor at, at seven feet tall like a guard and be able to, to end with a strong play. He's really developing those things, which just makes him so much more valuable. And then the offense, in a, in a way, too, has to go through him. Even to get the outside shots the Jazz are getting, you have to have a threat in the middle. And I think Rudy's progression there has been a pleasant, pleasant surprise. And he's had so many tour de force performances. Dallas, where he gets that late block on DeLon Wright, but he also had a phenomenal offensive game. He's had game ceiling blocks throughout this year. He really has been one great surprise for this team to see him continue to grow. We'll get you out on this. What lies ahead? 
where does this team stack up in the Western Conference? Well, I'm not afraid to talk about a championship. Nobody else should be either. And that's why you put this collection of guys together, because you want a ring. And as I say in the speaking world, that, you know, everybody has to have their vision, their vision board, and you've got to write it down and you've got to talk about it amongst each other and talk about the goal. That's what we did at NC State. Other people didn't believe. Jim Balvano took us, led us to that basketball promised land. And so when you're where the Jazz are at and, uh, and you're in that upper echelon of teams, there's nothing wrong with talking about winning a ring. And I think that helps you as you go out and perform every single night. So I think what's next for the Jazz is to get back to a place, you know, get past that first round in the playoffs, and give yourself an opportunity to get in the conference finals. Because I think, you know, once you get past that 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 first and second round, that and if you're in a position where you've got an advantage at home uh, going in then the sky's the limit. Your, your thoughts have got to be on being a, a NBA champion. Addendum, there's Thurl Bailey. It's a good note to end on. He's talking about champion aspirations for the Jazz. You have to put that on your vision board if you're continuing that metaphor that we started out the program. Thurl Bailey, he was gracious to join us for just about 45 minutes. So, two parts. First part today, second part on Monday. and You'll be able to hear his career story, how he got to where he is, and his approach broadcasting games as the analyst. He has good insight on that and a great bite on Donovan Mitchell and the mentality that goes into being that all-star level player. Thurl brings it. So you'll want to listen to both conversations today and on Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. You know where to find us. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Five-star reviews. That's all I ask of you. I'm JP Chunga, and until next time, bye for now.